All right, welcome back to Hollinger and Duncan. Thanks so much for joining us. I, I do have an announcement before we get started. If you've enjoyed Danny LaRue's and my League Pass calls, we are actually going to be doing games on a site called Playback. It's a pretty exciting technology. We are actually able to have you sign in through your cable provider or YouTube TV or I think even NBA League Pass for international people and basically just watch the game in that window with our commentary. There's no more syncing up. So we are going to be calling some live games starting tomorrow with uh, game six of Dallas and Phoenix. And then we'll be doing it periodically, probably every other day or so through the rest of the playoffs. So looking forward to doing that and also looking forward to the rest of the second round, John, although I do kind of wish that we were recording last night so we could have been a little more excited about these two one four series yeah they they uh kind of turned last night didn't they uh you know we've seen this movie before so many times where the home team wins each of the first four games and we get all excited like yeah it's two two anything can happen but the thing that happens most of the time when the home team wins the first four games is that the better seed ends up advancing. And in particular, when the better seed also has a better point differential in those first four games. And that's exactly how it played out last night. Uh, Two blowouts. I was actually surprised how easily Miami beat Philadelphia. Like I was not shocked that Phoenix did this to Dallas because that was the exact same formula from game two. But that Miami-Philly series felt more touch-and-go for Miami with Embiid being back and that, you know, he was able to neutralize Bam and could Miami really score enough against them? And they, they just completely outplayed Philadelphia last night. No, they did. And one of the biggest things early, and this has been a big theme for me, and maybe this was always happening and I just wasn't as attuned to it, but this has been massive in the... Celtics Bucks series as well the two games that the Celtics have lost is if you have a really terrible offensive rating in transition it's very very hard to win because particularly because you know obviously that's just a huge loss in terms of points right you expect that you're going to have like a 120 offensive rating 130 offensive rating in transition and when you only get a limited number of those opportunities per game you need to capitalize on them but then if you're just having these awful games where you're like, you know, 66 offensive rating in transition, most of the time the reason that's happening is because you're either turning it over yourselves, which you do have an elevated turnover rate in transition just because you're running. But number two, miss layups or getting your shot blocked. And then a lot of times you're giving up transition going the other way. And that's what happened to Philly in that first quarter when they got down 12 and they really were never able to recover after that, there are probably three or four sequences where Philly could have scored, you know, had a two-on-one, had a layup, and just blew it or turned it over, and then Miami came right down and banged a three or got a layup themselves, and that, you know, those can be 10-point swings in a game. Yes, and the, yeah, it's, it's, you're right, it's, when you don't convert it, you almost always end up at a numbers disadvantage coming the other way, especially a lot of times a guy will fall down on those plays too. Yeah, and or they're just like dejected and don't get back, which uh, that, that can happen to the Sixers sometimes. Yeah, I felt like there was one guy in their team who does that sometimes. I, I can't think of who it was. 
<laughs> um, and, and maybe the other thing that we were missing there too was just how much Kyle Lowry was killing the Heat. Definitely true. It's funny though that Miami was able to run better because Lowry is the one impact he's always had with Miami is that he juices their pace. And so yeah. for Miami to be able to run effectively even without Lowry, I think that was a story last night. Yeah, well, if Kyle Lowry can't run, it's hard for him to, to choose your pace, which is basically the point that he was at by the middle of, of Game 4. And, and I think it's it's pretty clear that he's already been ruled out for Game 6 now, too, that they shouldn't have brought him back. Uh, I think he clearly was pushing to play. And he had said it, actually, which I thought was interesting. He said, I've never had a soft tissue injury before, which, I mean, it's pretty incredible considering how long uh, his career has gone on. and Kind of mind-blowing, actually, and a little bit of a hat tip to the Toronto training staff, right? Yeah, especially when you consider how many minutes that he would play under Nick Nurse those last three years as well. Like, that's pretty incredible. But, yeah, at age 35, you just don't recover as quickly. But I think the fact that he got re-injured so fast and then was, like, continuing to re-injure it throughout the game, I mean, I think that's another thing they maybe should have once he re-injured it and he couldn't even run anymore, they probably should have taken him out because he continued to tweak it and make it worse throughout Game 4. Like, yeah. Game 3, actually, he didn't look awful. He just played badly. But Game 4, it was it, it was kind of a disaster. But uh, And I think that was really important for them getting Tyrese Maxey under control as well. Gabe Vincent, I think, has done a, a pretty good job on him. And, uh, yeah, I you know, I still... Would you think Philly is still going to win Game 6? I think they have a pretty good shot at it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I like Philly's chances better than Dallas's of winning Game Six. Yes. Hmm. Well, they're going up against a worse team. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this Phoenix team is uh, very good. So, it, yeah, I, I guess back to that series though. The other thing too is, and actually, I wanted to ask you about this because Mike Conley had a very similar injury to the one that Joel had back in 2015 and he he came back in that game two against the Warriors he had a really inspiring performance basically won them that game you guys go up 2-1 and it just seemed like for Mike it was just he was able to gut through those first couple of games on adrenaline but just the fatigue of having to deal with like a broken face for an entire seven game series getting jostled around it just kind of became additive it did and I, like, I can't speak to the exact injury that Embiid has had versus what versus what Mike had in terms of severity, but you, you wonder the same thing. And th- there is that aspect of inevitably in the course of a basketball game, like he, he, you saw the play where the ball just hit him in the face and it wasn't, it, it wasn't any kind of like even a foul, but he ended up getting the ball smashed into his face and it really mattered because that was a very vulnerable <laughs> area for him and w- and will continue to be and that i i think it also impacts just the choices you make on the floor sometimes subconsciously yeah, yeah. Uh, of what of what you're going to do it's, i think it's just it's just easier to take jump shots at that point so you know all, all those things i i do wonder if they're starting to w- weigh on this series and then it was interesting to me last night too because it was the first game where we didn't have ridiculous shooting variants determine the winner right. and Miami just straight up outplayed them. Yeah, I mean you can look at the final numbers and Miami was 40% from 3 and Philly was 28%, but after 3 when the game was basically decided they were both I think 7 to 20 or 7 to 
seven to nineteen, something like that, like right around thirty five percent. But yeah, for going back to Joel, do you remember another series where we've seen these type of tactics being employed? Where like I would have to go back to like high school, where like Bam Adebayo is basically just putting his butt on Joel Embiid and standing between him and the ball for entire possessions. And when Deadman comes in, that's really when Embiid has had really only his only good stretches, like end of the third against Deadman last night. But this is really a pretty remarkable strategy that the Heat are going to. Adebayo is indefatigable at executing it. And then, as you said, Embiid, just with the, the physical shape that he's in, I mean, the thumb as well as just the mental fatigue of just being in that pain, getting leaned on all the time, probably still you know wasn't able to really do anything for a week as well like big guys can kind of get out of condition quickly yeah like it's just he he doesn't i think have the ability to just continue battling physically the way he needs to and i mean credit to the heat obviously because they've they've been really good on the backside of that front too which which you have to be yeah they got some stuff out of that early in game four but really didn't get anything out of it in game five the Sixers have any cards left to play here other than hope James Harden hits threes over Bam Adebayo? Um, I mean, it is kind of weird that you just can't... There's really nothing you can do to get Tyrese Maxey going in the half court. You know, I think some sort of like... Some action where you bring him beat out to the top of the key and have him like, you know, fake trying to get the ball. Bam is all over him, so he's kind of outside of him. And then just have Embiid say, no, I'm just going to screen you. If you want to get outside of me, I'm going to screen you so you can't help at all. And then maybe we do some dribble pitch action with Maxi to like quickly get him running downhill in the half court and just have him beat everybody to the rim with no bam there because he's dealing with Embiid standing 20 feet from the basket. Some stuff like that. Like it, Just to run more plays, I think, for Maxi to get him on the move in the half court and take advantage of the fact that you're kind of playing four on four right now. Like, his speed should be able to be leveraged better than that. Like, him only taking 10 shots, and, you know, probably three of those are in transition. Uh, I think like he's the guy to me, or, you know, going, uh, trying to get Tobias Harris some more isos. Like, I, I think they could still be a lot better on offense. I just don't think they can get better, any better on defense. That's my biggest concern for them. And if, if Miami hits a reasonable number of threes, like, they should be able to score pretty easily against these guys. They still, they, their strategy is interesting because they're, they're basically, they're okay with Jimmy Butler scoring as long as he's not facilitating for the, for the shooters. But Miami's shooters still kind of got loose last game, especially Shrews. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a concern, and I think, and also like the transition aspect as well. Like those, th- that's where Struess can be pretty dangerous. And yeah, the the Butler thing is interesting, man. I mean, he's been amazing, and he just does it in such an unconventional way that it kind of doesn't add up as much. But I think they're starting to find something attacking Maxi as well now, which they I think they just need to keep doing more and more of. Like they really hadn't done that much until last game, and I think they need to redouble their efforts there because maxi is pretty bad defensively yeah which is and, a, i mean toronto yeah. was like it was like where you know where's waldo it's <laughs> just like they're hunting hunting him all the time and yeah. uh, and, and miami, miami did a great job worse. against trey in that respect so i think they should just use use the same rules on maxi going forward but yeah i just i'm not like philly is an explosive offensive team like they can they can go crazy they can hit 50 percent from three and I think Joel, just at home, it'll be easier for him to just get his motor revved up a little bit more than it was 
in Miami. He also seemed to like mess up his lower back on kind of a a hustle play that he probably should have just thought better of. And that's right. So yeah, I, I mean, I would pick Philly to win Game Six still, uh, but certainly Miami is quite capable. Do you, anything else on this series, or should we move on to let's, one of the other uh, ones? Let's let's move on. You and I haven't talked about this yet. Okay. The what did you make of all of the talk around the Ja Morant injury and blaming Jordan Poole, and now it's come out that it, it's a, a bone bruise, and he's and also he's doubtful for the rest of the playoffs. So I guess he'll be listed doubtful every game that they continue to play. I don't know exactly what that means, but just to, your thoughts overall on kind of how that situation was managed and uh, anything else you want to talk about from that series too. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was uh, suspension fishing is, is probably how I would put it. Like it, it was just a, a hope, right? Like maybe we can, can we luck into a suspension here because our guy got suspended for game uh, three. And I, I don't think that was based in any kind of reality here. You know, I think I think Taylor Jenkins and his post-game pressers has been, you know, a little bit the guy who's like, yeah, I'm just doing my own research and asking questions here, you know. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't think that's been a great look I, because it was the same thing on the on the Jaron three-pointer at the end of game four, uh, you know, his comments on that, which is like, yeah, that wasn't a foul. Um, so that, that's that been uh, a, l- a little odd. Uh, yeah, the Grizzlies took – Took their time kind of disclosing any information about that. Bone bruise can be a variety of things, uh, especially with the knee. Like sometimes it can be just not a bone, but also some other damage in there. So uh, depending on the severity. So there's a wide range of potential outcomes with that. And, you know, in my time in the front office, I got to know bone bruises a lot better and they they can they can be a problem even if it sounds like oh it's just a bruise because uh, there can be underlying stuff going on in there that's that's a little more problematic and it just it just depends on the particular bruise though and then the play obviously it was his knee got knocked at some point which may have been on that play or may have been on an earlier play but the the thing where pool reached and his hand hit him like no he was not trying to tear his kneecap off and it had nothing to do with what uh pool's ailment was or with what morant's ailment was no i mean number one like i mean guys get injured all the time on legitimate basketball plays and he i think clear was reaching for the ball uh had just hit the ball right after that i mean you're you're clearly just trying to get the ball at that point but number two all of the medical experts and and my own amateur medical degree from watching basketball players and myself get injured over the last 10 years it's just that there's no way that that could be an injury mechanism that would cause a a bone bruise necessarily and then one last reminder for people your a bone bruise is basically like you're on your way to a fracture you know it's not just like oh i looked out of my arm i got a little bruise from like bumping into the side of the door like no this is like as especially in your knee that's like you're getting close to having like a fracture and so it's generally those types of things take a long time to resolve. And so it's not a surprise. And we don't even know what it was for him that caused him to miss those two weeks at the end of the regular season. That was just generic knee soreness. Which could be uh, anything, yeah. obviously. Yeah. I, I do have to say these Jenkins, I've been in them for the last couple of games. These Jenkins 
press conferences are just amazing to be at because uh, he got asked uh, after game four, like, oh, you know, how do you respond emotionally? And he gave this answer. And somehow he just never varies his tone or cadence in any way, no matter what he's saying and in his pressers. And it's just like, like him responding, like, oh, how do you deal with this emotionally in like basically the most emotionless way you could possibly say anything? Uh, I'm sure he's not even close to like that with the team. Like he does a great job with them, obviously, but it, it is kind of funny to hear him in these pressers. Just uh, it, it, he hasn't. It's you know 0.5 percent of the job of a coach, but it's it's not been uh, the greatest performances by him, as you alluded to. So I have something exciting to look forward to tonight now because I'm I'm doing the show from Memphis, where I'm here for for Game Five. So we'll uh, we'll see how that uh, whole rodeo goes tonight. So, I mean, the, what about uh, Dylan Brooks' performance in Game 4? I mean, was it the, at the point where Jenkins should have sat him down? Was it that bad? So, I I don't know if it was. First of all, what who was he going to put in the game instead? Melton. It would be Melton, who he doesn't trust at all. Um well, he might, is, is he right to not trust him at all? I, I think he's probably gone too too far along that axis. I will say, uh, so what, watching that fourth quarter again, I, I do think they he Brooks took some bad shots in the first quarter, especially, I thought. Uh, his his defense was generally pretty good. And where, where it went off the rails in the fourth quarter when I watched it were the, the shots he took took or the mistakes he made so he had three different plays where he had pool on him who you want to attack and he didn't score on any of them um he got down he tried to go downhill against him and just dribbled off his own foot um they had the play where they did nothing for 17 seconds and then threw it to him on the wing with draymond parked and help right on right on the block and, and he took that one dribble three which was it was a it was a bad shot, but it was also a nothing play that the Grizzlies ran. Like their whole offensive tempo just went to shit the, that those last eight minutes. Uh, the the one that was bad, where I thought he looked a little shook, was when they got the turnover. Uh, Kyle Anderson deflected the pass, and they had a chance to go the other way. And Brooks just got the ball and just hot potatoed it like right off of Bain's head, and the and the Warriors oh, got and the they ball just right back. Intercepted it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that. That was bad, but at that point, I I think the real mistake was was actually playing him too many minutes up until that point. I thought he and Tyus Jones really fatigued in that fourth quarter, and that was one of the big stories of that game. In terms of half court shot creation, I don't know where else the Grizzlies were supposed to go. Like they they ended up going to Jackson a little bit. I mean, who's working against Draymond Green, right? Like that's the guy you want to attack. Um, but when you don't have John Morant, you have 50% of Desmond Bain or whatever you want to call it with his back situation. So you end up in this Drew Holiday situation, right? Where it's like, yeah. okay, I guess he has to take 30 shots and he might only make 10 of them, but it's still better than than the other stuff we got. So, I mean, he, he had a poor game, no question. But I, I also, uh, I, I don't know, maybe I'm showing too much favoritism here, but... It's it's hard for me to put that game on him when they had so few other places to go, and I thought that I just thought there was there was just just generally they they just ran out of gas as a team that whole fourth quarter. Yeah, I think they should. To me, actually, they should have gotten to Kyle Anderson more 
either against Steph or against Poole. Like, Anderson attacked Poole four times, and I think he got three buckets, and he got fouled once. He's he's actually, and he was out there, like, he's actually a pretty decent ISO player against smaller guys, and, you know, maybe if you go to that well so often, then it, they find a way to deal with it, but uh, like it can kind of be like a surprise attack. Um, I will say I, I rewatched the fourth quarter, and it seemed to me like Brooks got back cut a lot. Part of that is just <laughs> their strategy to try to deny, but I thought actually in the fourth that basically every bucket that or foul that Golden State got before the intentional fouling was except for one clay based on out of bounds was actually at brooks's expense one way or another where he either got beat in a way that i thought was like could have been played better i mean obviously you're gonna get beat sometimes by steph curry or he was involved in some sort of miscommunication or just losing his yeah. man which then initiated the breakdown so i thought because bob was saying the same thing as you actually i mean you're, you're not alone there's a lot of people saying he played a good defensive game so i went back and watched the fourth quarter i was like oh wait a minute like he actually is involved in like all of these breakdowns yeah like he the had fourth. the there was the three where he got caught on the wrong side on on steph and steph got got one of the few really good looks from three he got the whole game yeah yeah that's like his job is to direct the ball one way and and he didn't and then uh you know they got beat that time and there was i mean his the blocking foul that he committed on steph in transition was just like a no hoper, right? Like if you actually just try to stay with him and contest, you might have a chance. Instead, he tried to take a charge. Like on, I don't like, know what he was yeah. trying to do. Like I, because I, when I saw it, I was like, was was he trying to take it? Like <laughs> like there's no like he couldn't have possibly been trying to take a charge, could he? Like I, but I don't yeah. know what else he was trying to do. You're right. It sort of looked like he was taking a charge, but you watch it. It's like, has anyone ever successfully taken a charge from that angle with with a player coming in like that? That that was weird. Yeah, and also he should have got called for another blocking foul on on a play as well. That just you know, the, he just the got Jer- lucky that he didn't the Jaron block yeah. where he was. I yeah. mean, that one I can forgive Lamar because he was arm wrestling Draymond Green the whole time. So I'm, I'm not sure what sure. else he what other option he had. But yeah, you could argue he committed. He may have committed a foul on that. Well, let's zoom out a little bit here. Obviously, this series is over now unless there's some major injury issue with Golden State. Uh, normally, you'd say the home team being down 3-1 might have a chance to come back. But obviously, without Ja, I think it's going to be too difficult. Although I could see the Grizz winning winning Game 5. Uh, but Golden State, what are your thoughts on how they have looked so far? And whether it is Phoenix or Dallas in the next round, how they might look against those teams? I thought they looked better against Denver and especially those first three games against Denver and over their last six games, let's say, they've looked like a more beatable version of that same team. Uh, Not having Peyton, I think, is part of it, but not all of it by any means. Yeah, that's that's reasonable. I mean, we should give them credit that they, uh, you know, the two games that they actually really the three games that they haven't looked great game five against denver and then two and four against memphis they've just shot incredibly poorly from three for almost all those games but that's not what this team is supposed to do they're supposed to be an awesome shooting team from three uh they did also set the non-bubble record for true shooting percentage in a game in game three against what's supposed to be a pretty good defense so we'll give them some credit for that but i agree memphis was all and they were just blowing by guys off the dribble memphis was kind of all all messed up in that game i'm not sure how much i can give them credit for that one but uh, to me and we talked about this a little bit on spotify live but 
for those who didn't listen to that, Steph Curry has to play better for them. Like I think like he needs to shoot over 40% on three-pointers for the rest of the playoffs. And he just hasn't made shots at the level that Steph Curry makes shots basically this whole season since like the first month. And so I think that's if he can't do that, I think it could be a pretty short series against Phoenix. So you never want to count out Golden State with Clay, Steph, and Draymond. Like we've seen them come back from the dead so many times. So I wouldn't say that they have no chance in this next series, but I think I would make Phoenix a significant favorite, which I didn't feel at the beginning of the playoffs. And I now actually feel that Golden State, despite the fact that they are probably going to win both these series in five games, I think they've been kind of unimpressive. And Phoenix, conversely, even though they're going to win probably, you would say, both these series in in six games, you kind of feel good about them. The games they've lost were games where either they, they didn't have Booker or like a weird game where Chris Paul fouled out and Dallas shot 99% from three. And they just they just have so many ways to attack you and so few true flaws that expose themselves. I, I like I, I do think there are ways for a good defense to handle them if they have multiple perimeter defenders, which Golden State yeah, like it doesn't really doesn't really have. Yeah. I think it would be a series where you'd have to ask a lot of Curry defensively and what does that do to him at the offensive end? Uh, and there are fewer places for Jordan Poole to hide against that team. So I I would feel pretty good about that matchup. If I was Phoenix, even though Golden State beat them, Golden State won two out of three against them, right? In the regular season? Uh, it was, I think it was two and two, but there were significant injuries in basically every game. And yeah, so we haven't, we haven't seen the Poole, Clay, Curry, Trioka go up against Phoenix at all. So I think the Christmas game to me is the one that you could maybe take the most away from. But even, I think Wiggins didn't play in that one for the Warriors. I think Phoenix was that pretty close to full health but that was I think the biggest difference to me is Golden State is missing maybe two of their three best defensive players right now like no Iguodala and no Gary Payton the second is even if even if Iguodala was healthy is he playable in a series like that he he was playable early on in the in the playoffs certainly even just as Draymond Green's backup honestly like I think he's he's important um but I, but I think ultimately Golden State would have had to say, hey, we're going to defend, and then we're just going to trust that we're going to have two of Clay, Steph, and Poole on the floor at all times, and maybe one more guy in Wiggins, and we'll just we'll have to get enough offense, but we're going to win the series defensively. But I don't think they have that option anymore. Now. Yeah, I think they ha- they have to win it the other way now. Just just have a scorchathon between Curry, Clay, and Poole, right? I'm also concerned. Like Draymond Green, basically, I mean, what is his high in minutes for the playoffs? Like 34, 35? Like they're they're in a a two one series down by eight, and he plays thirty three minutes in the game. Like he doesn't come back in until there's like eight thirty left in the fourth quarter after resting for like six or seven minutes, and I'm, he still has one of the best on off differentials of anyone in the whole playoffs. But they're gonna need him to play like forty minutes in, in this series against Phoenix, which. And again, I don't, I want to assume a hundred percent that it's going to be Phoenix. Maybe we should turn to to that series now. And I guess really the the big takeaway that we always kind of forget. I I did quote it, but it's just like these series that go two two with every team winning on their home floor. The home team is still a substantial favorite, and Phoenix and and Miami both reminded us of why. Yes, 
it's it's just funny how this works out. I mean, we we talk ourselves into the underdog every year, and then reality hits in Game Five. It seems like most of the time, except in the Grizzlies Clippers series in 2013, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there are some like some of the classic series of all time have followed that like 2019 Bucks Raptors like 93 Knicks Bulls where the the underdog team actually was able to win game 5 after losing the first two on the road. Yeah. But, you know, Dallas just wasn't able to, I mean, the biggest concern for me in that game, like I I tweeted this when the Suns tied it at 40 in the second quarter. I'm like, Phoenix, I think they're going to win this comfortably because just watching Luka, he just couldn't get where he wanted to go on the floor last night. That was that was a uh amazing tweet actually i gotta give you credit because you you called that so early Uh, you like you could feel that a little because dallas played really well in the first quarter and you but you saw the formula working already from game two of okay let luca score score in the first half and just burn himself out and then pray in the second half yeah but he didn't even really score in the first half the same way right like he was it was first quarter, some, really. but he wasn't yeah. efficient. Yeah, yeah, and I I thought Phoenix was smarter too about just living with him shooting step backs going to his left, and if if he makes a bunch of them, great. But really, put the odds in their favor by making him too dependent on that shot. Um, my observation on how Phoenix changed up a little bit in this game. I want to see if you agree with me. Was you know, they they did some switching still, uh, probably more than ever. Like, I thought the Biombo actually was, like, pretty good in, in a switch. That's not something we've seen a ton of from him in his career, but that's uh, – Luca has not been lighting him up that much. I think Biombo taking over for JaVale is, uh, is interesting. But so they did a, more switching, and also, though, it seemed like – you know, and they Luca probably tried to post up the most in the first half of any half in this series – but they just did more just gapping off of the guy who was one pass away. And very often, particularly because Bridges would start on him, that would be Bridges. And it seemed like Luca almost just needed needed to make that guy actually double team. And he kind of just was deterred by him from getting past his man or wasn't able to actually force that guy to double and pass it to the guy. And Luca also kind of just making that pass to someone who's wide open one pass away, like it's almost like too boring for him. Like he's too creative <laughs> of a player to just do that. Yeah. Um, but, he actually, and, Phoenix, even, yeah. and even at that, got a couple of those passes deflected, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like there are a lot of times where it seemed like, okay, he's got Chris Paul on him. He's at the circle, drives to his left, tries to, but then someone gaps off of the guy who's on the wing and Luca was like, okay, I'm deterred here. I can't like continue my attack and get down into the paint. And so he would end up shooting like a right shoulder fadeaway from 17, which is even for him is not really a, a great shot. And so I think like they need to find a way. Maybe it, he just didn't have a lot of burst, I thought as well. But they need to find a way to actually like get him into the paint on some of these mismatches because if he's shooting a long two, like that's not going to cut it. Yeah, total total win for Phoenix. And that second half especially was complete suffocation. I mean, it took them 16 yeah. minutes to get to 20 points for the half, right? The third quarter, they had six field goals and 12 turnovers. Oh, man. 
<laughs> which is the they had never had double digit turnovers in any quarter this season. Law, Law Murray, your colleague at the Athletic, had that stat. Wow. So, and I guess the other thing they might do is remind Luca that the shot clock is in thirty five seconds. Man, could could Dallas run a fast break one time? But here's the thing, though. Like, it really is Luca because I yeah. always thought it was Carlisle, and you can't tell me that fucking Jason Kidd doesn't believe in running. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And when Luca was out, they actually killed the Jazz in transition. So it really is him, again, to where I think they – and it would also just save, like, to not have him bring the ball up every time, I think that would just save him some effort, right? Like, let's let's have someone else bring the ball up, and then we can get him the ball coming out of the corner or something like that. I mean, I guess they feel like maybe it's hard for him to get the ball in the half court, and he gets denied, or that's just the way he wants to play. But but I do, th- I mean, this is just a, a learning experience for Luca. Like, I think, I, honestly, the last three games, whether it's defensively, I mean, he was very important, obviously, in setting up threes, but he didn't have a great individual statistical game against the Suns in games three and four either. You know, this is like a learning experience for him, going up against superior teams. We've seen a lot of guys, LeBron, Jordan, have to go through this. And, like, there's an aspect of trusting your teammates. There's an aspect of finding ways to get easier shots, to not get attacked as much defensively, how to conserve your energy throughout the game. Like, that's... since he's only 23, I think, just turned 23, like that's just the things you have to learn, I think, even if you do have this incredible level of talent. You're right, and it's funny because if you go back and watch, like I remember watching Luca when he was a 16-year-old playing for Real Madrid, and he would get he would get a rebound and he would grab and go. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Is when I evaluated him as a prospect, I'm like, oh, this guy could actually be pretty good in transition. Like even even his last year with Real Madrid, he would do that. And it's just not a thing you see you see him do. And I actually think it would make the game easier for him, especially if he could mix in some hit aheads too. Where, yeah. like we talked about Kyle Lowry earlier, like he. Kyle Lowry makes the heat faster with hit aheads, even though he himself is not fast anymore. And Luke obviously has the passing ability to do that at times, or he can push himself. Obviously, creates mismatches, just creates all kinds of havoc. But he just he just wants to have that half court chessboard set up, and he's he's talented enough to make it work most of the time against most teams, but not against the teams they have to beat in May and June. Let's get to I mean, what's really the main event? Celtics Bucks. This series yeah. has just kicked ass. I've, I'm so into this series. It's It's been a fantastic war through four games. I'm, I'm worried we're going to get the same thing we got uh, in, in, the, in the other game fives. I'm, I'm a little worried that this is tilted now a little too much to Boston, that Milwaukee just doesn't have enough ways to score against them. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, the biggest thing that fin- like the dam finally broke in game four with – Al Horford shooting and the small lineup that the Celtics went to and they were 12 of 14 on twos in the fourth quarter when they basically had been shooting like 40% on twos for a lot of the series and Lopez and Giannis had been taking away the rim so much. My prediction is that the Bucks are going to just double down on Bucksiness even more. That's kind of what they ended up doing at the end of the Brooklyn series when they KD and Kyrie were killing them early, and then especially once Kyrie came out, they're just like, all right, like KD, we're not going to switch on you. 
we're gonna if you set a screen pj tucker try get through it brooke lopez is gonna hang out in the paint and kd you're gonna get a bunch of mid-rangers but we're not gonna let you get anything else and i mean to me that's probably what they need to get back to i think and just hey al horford i know you hit five out of seven threes in the last game and had a your career high but that's your career high for a reason and if you beat us you beat us because we're not going to give up layups and get beat that way so they they tilted toward away from buxiness when they put in grayson allen for bobby portis do you think they go back to that or, or are they just um, too big and slow if it's lopez portis Giannis? yeah i think that's too big and slow i and I think both Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis probably need to be minimized, honestly. I, like, I, I think the, the Bucks just need to get back to winning this series on defense. Um, and uh, like Bud, at the, they're already down 10 at this point, but Bud went small. And at that point, particularly, because here's the other thing too, I think with going small with Giannis at center, like that can work for a little while, but that then raises the effort level of what he has to do defensively even more than what it's been and I think he clearly was just so tired by the end of game three and then particularly game four like I don't know if I've ever seen a player look as tired as he looked by the end of game four when he actually had to be taken out you know with five minutes left in the in the fourth quarter because he just like couldn't even move at that point like he would get knocked to the floor and just lay there for 40 seconds and you know we know he's in shape like that's not the problem it's just a Herculean ass so i think they just need to try to get he and lopez together out there as much as they can and you know portis only played 15 minutes the last game and i think that's that probably just needs to continue honestly like he he's just he gives too much of a place to attack with his pick and roll defense and he was passing up shots as well from the outside which doesn't help you that much and trying to like drive in instead so i I think he's just kind of we're starting to see the limitations of some of these guys in the bucks and they may just be running out of guys yeah, because that was one of the things I was going to ask. If they don't play those guys, like who who do they have that you can actually play then? I mean, having George Hill back helps a little, I guess, but he, he had a lot of trouble defensively at the end of game four yeah. also. No, I mean, I think it's West Matthews and Connaughton playing every minute that they can handle and Brooke Lopez playing more than 29 minutes. Like that's that to me is just the most, uh, I, I mean, particularly Brooke Lopez. Like you just, you can't take him off the floor at the end of the game like he's just you just don't have enough good players like he you need good players on the floor what like maybe it's not ideal to have him guarding Horford and Horford in the pickup also I wonder if they would just consider switching with Brooke Lopez would you consider doing that it's I mean it has to we be got on Giannis the, behind him it yeah. has to be on the table if, you, if you're getting pick and pop to death like this one of the things the Bucks always live with is a big guy shooting above the break threes and so how do you react to Horford's last game? Do you say that was a that was a fluke and we roll the dice again, or do you say okay we're gonna we're gonna adjust now and and take that away and make you make you beat us a different way? But maybe maybe that allows Jason Tatum to go off. Yeah, maybe it does. But the, you still at least have Giannis behind Tatum or, or behind Brook Lopez if he is to, has to switch out on that. Um, you know, you could put Giannis on Al Horford and say we're gonna. We're going to switch that and we'll put Brooke Lopez on Grant Williams or even Derek White or something like that. That would be, uh, be interesting if they put Lopez on, on Derek White. You'd probably like to be him have him in a matchup where he can be a little closer to the rim, though. Can- yeah, I guess so. I mean, and White is, you know, we'll say, hey, we're Derek White, if you want to take 10 threes tonight, we'll let you do that. He's been shooting it a little bit better. The other thing I think they and I, maybe they just don't, again, have the energy or the number of guys to do this. I might consider going back to Javon Carter. I know they're not playing I, him now because of Hill, 
but I liked, I thought that they had success with the full court pressure, just if not only to force turnovers, just you know, maybe wear these guys out a little bit more. And also, because they don't really have anyone who's just going to like blow by you if you pressure them up full court. And then also, I think if you wanted to switch it a little bit more to take away that Horford pick and pop, it's a lot easier for Brooke Lopez to defend Jason Tatum with six on the shot clock than 11. So that that would be my thought. I mean, I would start with just kind of like base redoubling on the old Bucks defense. And then if Al Horford starts killing you again, that then we're and maybe you can just, you know, stunt over on that pick and pop or something like that uh, off of a white or a smart. But if that doesn't work, then I would actually try to go to some switching and see if that is a possibility. Can they play zone? Uh, I mean, they haven't really been a zone team all year, right? Yeah. I mean, their their base defense is a zone of sorts, I guess, already. Uh, I, I, I'm just curious about that, if that removes some of their conundra or if it just creates new, worse problems. Conundra, that's good. Yeah, I've never seen the, the plural of that before. It's a good good Latin root word. Yeah, I mean, I guess we, we got to the point of, like, can they score against Boston, and I think the answer is just no that (laughs) that i mean we're talking about their defense because they gave up a big fourth quarter but yeah that is without a doubt the the bigger issue is they just like as you always talk about they like can they even run a pick and roll (laughs) against against this team holiday when the ball is in his hands tends to especially in these kind of elevated circumstances against this great defense it ends up being a lot of dribbling going to nowhere terribly threatening and it's just it's just so much on Yana to Giannis to just be godly awesome because there's there's yeah. just not enough around him yeah it's not uh Yanum. sorry that's what we're talking Greek here not not Latin uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I I don't know what else they can do I mean and I think like is playing Grayson Allen and Portis does that really make you that much better offensively that it's worth the defensive trades? I, I think I would just try to lean in more to the defense because that's where I think they can actually improve. I just don't think they they can get much better on offense. And also with the, the defense, frankly, like then maybe you can get some more transition. That's where they can really kill them is in transition yes. and not have to go through this, uh, this half-court slog. So I think that's – I mean, because they basically won game, game one and to a lesser extent game three – just by doing so much better than the Celtics in transition. And so to actually just get more stops, more misses around the rim, I, I think you're in better shape there and makes things easier on Giannis than having to just grind and post up. I would say Giannis, like no threes, but I would just take more jumpers off the dribble from maybe try it for 15 feet or so. If the guy backs off you, like I think that's a shot that he can make. And at least when you miss that, you can get back in good order on defense. You're not, flying into three guys you're not going to turn it over on that play like that that those may be the some of the best shots they can get but his three-pointer obviously has been atrocious in these playoffs yeah um but you you see boston being in control here i do uh i just i just think their defense is is too good even against this opponent and i i just i just it's just so it's just so heavily on Giannis, and i think i think even he as as you point out in, in Game four when he was so tired. I, these playoff games just demand a lot of these elite guys when they don't have enough help. We're seeing it with Luka. We're seeing it with Giannis. We saw it with Kevin Durant last series against Boston. I thought he was completely out of gas. Um, and 
that that just feels to me like where this is headed. I I do wonder if Milwaukee can get a little more offense, maybe getting some stuff for Brooke Lopez in the paint. Uh, one of the other great sources of offense for them has been Giannis's missed free throws because Lopez is just trucking whoever Boston has straight under the basket and getting the rebound. So that's that, that's been an interesting secondary source of points. I, I wonder if there's anything Boston can can do it. You don't spend a lot of time thinking about free throw rebounding, but it's actually like it's it's a little bit of a story in this series. With like when Lopez is on the floor with Giannis, he gets all those offensive boards, and Giannis is missing enough free throws that it's like a substantial thing in the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you just got to execute better with that guy. Put the other the extra guy there and pinch down and hopefully keep him off that way. Uh, but yeah, Lopez five offensive rebounds in game four. And yeah, I, the way I said it after game three, which was such a classic was that I thought the Celtics still were a slightly better team on a neutral floor than these guys. And frankly, I'll credit the bucks for even being as good as they have been without Middleton so far. I agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, because I, I thought this would be kind of an easier road for Boston than it has been. And it could end up being the six-gamer that I picked it to be initially, even so. But Boston being able to win game four was impressive because it seemed like in game, you know, yes, I favored Boston in games going forward, but then I wouldn't favor them in home games. And Milwaukee had another home game, and then they would have been up 3-1, even if Boston might have been a slight favorite to win games on a neutral floor after that. So that game four was massive, and I mean... I. I wouldn't go quite so far as to say that the NBA championship was decided in those 24 minutes, but I think there's a decent chance that it could have been. It's it's that level of series. I, I agree with you there. I mean, we'll we'll see what we'll see what Phoenix is in May and June, and and what you know what happens in in some of these other series. But it's it's certainly a it's, it is a plausible statement. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, let's go through our our usual awards. Who is the best team in the NBA right now? I'm going to lean Phoenix over Boston. I, I had Phoenix over Boston in seven before this started, and I, I, that's still the way it's trending for me. And this Dallas team is really good that they're playing against. Like, I, I don't think that should be lost. And I I do kind of have this feeling that Phoenix is going to close it out because we've seen Chris Paul have some massive game sixes in these closeout situations, including in the previous round. So I do think that he's finally going to go off here for the first time in a little bit in this series, and that I think Phoenix will win that game. Not that Dallas doesn't have a chance, obviously, but that's I mean, particularly guarding that team is extremely difficult with the five out and Luca and all that, and they're very well coached defensively as well. I think I think I will still go with the Boston Celtics, though. Although the Robert Williams thing is interesting, you know, I do think he is hasn't been as important in this matchup because they just need to space the floor more and go smaller. But I think in a Miami matchup and potentially against Phoenix, he not having him or not having him at 100%, which kind of seems the way like it's headed here now. Yes. You know, I wouldn't want to count on him the rest of the way. He's supposed to play in game five, I guess. I haven't heard anything about that yet. And uh, But yeah, I think I would go Boston slightly over Phoenix. I just don't think that... like Boston can be vulnerable on offense, but I think that their defense is just so good. Like, it really is, like, nearly impenetrable. And I think they're going to be able to switch against Phoenix, and I think Phoenix is going to run into problems. Um, let's see here. Any, like, re- coaching stuff that's really stood out to you, for better or for worse? Let's see. You know, I'm interested to see if uh, if Mike Brown 
plays Draymond Green and Kevon Looney together tonight because I think it would be great practice for him uh, for Sacramento to play two centers at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's save that. Actually, we got to talk about that <laughs> that hiring hiring briefly. But thank you for reminding me uh, of that one. Um, I mean, I think just generally Dallas has stood out to me again for how well coached they've been. I thought that they they had some really good answers in those home games. Part of it was just playing better, more pressure, but they they got their guys to defend that way. I mean, that's this is not a great defensive roster, and they managed to slow down Phoenix pretty well for a couple of games. And then I thought, obviously, the, the response defensively from Phoenix last night that we we already the, talked about the Biombo adjustment I thought was really good, and then yeah. Biombo actually like catching the ball and finishing some of these catches in, in the paint. I, I think it has been obviously a factor too. I mean, this guy was yeah, on his couch, actually, like nobody's, nobody even yeah. wanted him. And he's been a, he's been a, a factor in a pretty high level series. Yeah. And JaVale McGee having his minutes edited in the playoffs, despite the fact that he deserves a ton of credit for making himself into a solid player in the regular season, that something that seems to happen every year in the playoffs. And Let's. Uh, I think the other thing I want to talk about too, just from that series briefly. Another adjustment is if they're going to play Biombo this much, I think Dallas needs to experiment with putting two on the ball on some of these pick and rolls. That's a great. That's and, a great call. You you have yeah. You have to make Biombo be the guy that beats you. Yeah, and you got to push him further out on the floor because if you're setting the pick and roll inside the arc, then he can just roll right into the basket and dunk it. Like you need to fix it so he's catching the ball on the move, having to make a play on some of these. Uh, what would you say is uh, just the best game of the playoffs? Game three of Boston-Milwaukee? Yeah. Oh, that was marred by some officiating controversy, I would say. Yes. Yes, certainly. Uh, game one of Brooklyn-Boston was really good. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think this Brooklyn team, as disappointing as they were, it's not like they didn't get like totally blown out in any of these games. Like it was one of the closest sweeps in history. And like that team was still like a pretty, it's a pretty good talent on that team. And like Kyrie was playing at a really high level. Yeah, I, I still don't think that series would have changed, but that in and of itself was a high level game. We had so much optimism for that series after that, but it ended yes. up just, just being a sweep. Game one of Golden State Memphis was a great game. Yes, it was. As well. That, yes, that's one that that's got to be up there. Job missing the layup at the end. Clay hitting a huge three to give Golden State the lead. Um, I'm trying to think of any any other ones that really stand out to me. I think mean, yeah, game three of Philly and Toronto. That was kind of a slog, even though that was like the most dramatic game, perhaps. Yeah, but that was, was a, a lot of that wasn't a. Uh, yeah, you weren't you weren't thinking to yourself. I am watching a great playoff game right now. Like that that yeah. thought never entered your head. That whole game. Yeah, I'm just I'm hoping we could actually get one close game in these one four series going forward. Like none of them have even been remotely close down the end. Yeah, that that would be great. Um, if we could get a game seven on Sunday. That would be really nice. MVP of the playoffs right now? Would you? You probably have to update it from Chris Paul. Your Chris Paul was after game two last year last week right but he hasn't really done much since then so who would you pick who would you call the mvp of the playoffs right now i i mean i think it has to be honest particularly with his defensive contributions right that i i think that's what you end up defaulting to because i mean it's just all on him and that like the fact they're even in this series at all is is all him 
Yeah, and he hasn't been efficient in some of these games. I, I understand that. Tatum has had some struggles recently also. So I think, but Giannis's defense has been just so massive most of the way. But I mean, there isn't an obvious candidate necessarily. And we could be talking about Devin Booker in this conversation by the end of the playoffs too. You know, he's missed a bunch of time, but he's starting to ramp up and look really good these last few games. Fantastic game five last night. All right, so the Kings did not hire one Mark Jackson. I'm not sure if the story that Ethan Strauss had about his homophobic comments necessarily had anything to do with that or would have had something to do with that eventually but instead it is Mike Brown what are your thoughts I have always thought that Mike Brown deserved another head coaching job in the NBA I I think his track record is that he's a pretty good defensive coach I think the biggest thing that people the biggest knock people had against him was his adjustments in the playoffs or lack thereof as the coach of the Sacramento Kings, you don't really have to worry about that as a general rule. Uh, so I, I I actually think that was a pretty good hire by Sacramento. You can question the process that led to that, but I think that was a reasonable outcome, for, for, Sac- for especially for a place that's not viewed as one of the league's plum jobs, let's say. I, th- I thought that was at the higher end of expectations, I guess, for, for how that hire would turn out. Yeah, I'm just, I'm fearful for Mike Brown because I do agree with you that I think he's earned another chance. And I think being in Golden State for now a sixth season is helped him shore up some of his theoretical weaknesses in terms of on the offensive end and maybe just like chilling out a little bit in general with their culture. I'm just fearful that he his task is impossible. Yes. <laughs> You know, there's a there's a saying everyone has in the league. There's only thirty, right? And so that you're whatever whatever place you know, especially when you talk about head coaching job or general manager job, that there's so few of these that you just have to take the ones that come available to you. I'm sure for Mike Brown being an assistant for this long, he probably had to wonder if another chance like this was going to come his way and if so how much yeah. how much longer would he have to wait for that so i'm i'm sure that was a factor too the one thing you can say for sacramento is like if you do win there you're a hero right but yeah man it's a it is an arduous task i get i would say based on the recent history of that organization yeah i think so and if he can get them into the top half of the league in defense with this roster we'll see how things change but i imagine De'Aaron box will be their point guard and demonis Sabonis could be their center next year if you can get that group into the top half of the league in defense like you should probably be in the coach of the year conversation as far <laughs> as i'm concerned i that that will be his his challenge if they they they're pretty good offensively already so if they can play halfway decent defense there is the chance of them becoming a a play-in caliber team, I guess, like <laughs> which the Kings would hold a parade for themselves, or if they did that. But that's yeah. that's where we're at there. Party on David J. Stern walk. <laughs> which is actually a nice area. I, I, I love Sacramento. I, I it actually annoys me when people like say that it's like a bad city or something. Like I, great weather, great diversity, great integration pretty a, good food it's a it's a ple, it's a pleasant town 
with a great arena and you're right the food there is pretty good too i've i've enjoyed my visits there so yeah for what two, it's worth. two hours away from the from the mountains uh lots of distractions lots of great things to do to not watch the kings when they lose uh, again and you can really you could really enjoy yourself with other uh, winter <laughs> winter activities um last thing do you get a chance to see sean mark's presser today and the tone of some of his comments so i was still digesting everything when we went on air but it, it i mean it just seems like maybe uh Maybe maybe Kyrie won't be there for the long term, right? Like we 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 can we can ask that question a little more openly. I would say, yeah, it's if not him, then who? I guess is the question. Like it's not like that's, they, he's not. Yeah, that's that's the whole issue. Is you you've painted yourself into a corner where okay, what you're just going to let Kyrie walk? Like I, I don't see how that's plausible either. The only thing I could see is. A stare down where they say, okay, just opt in for a year and then we'll deal with it because there's no other place for you to sign this summer anyway. I'll try to summarize Mark's comments. Basically, he was asked about Kyrie coming back in an extension. They said they haven't had those talks yet, which he's been eligible for an extension since August of last year. And he also, Mark said, yeah, you know, I don't want to talk about it because obviously I said that I assumed like Kyrie and James would be here and, and extended at the start of training camp last year and that didn't turn out to be the case uh, and but he also had a number of comments about just like hey we need to get back to the culture like that has slipped away and you know he even mentioned the possibility of like Kyrie when he's not injured being available more often and that that's going to be a a conversation now presumably the vaccine mandate is not coming back but there it always seems to be something so yeah I don't know it, it's yeah because he took, even the year before, he took some time away from the team. Right, right. And that was maybe even in part what was the last domino in them upping their offer and getting the Harden trade done. And so maybe it'll be a shorter term deal for him. He obviously, he could just opt into his player option too if he wanted to. But uh, it, maybe it'll be a shorter term deal or something less than the max or some non-guarantees. He's also a small guard who's 30, does, does have a, a skill level and a shooting ability that is hopefully going to age pretty well. And obviously as the Ben Simmons conundrum as well. The other thing that I'll consider too, the New York Post had this article basically about uh, talking about how Joe Sy has repeatedly replaced it, like people on the business side. And like, I think his CEO or whatever the title is on the business side, I think he's on his third one in three years now and that they lost a bunch of money and he's hoping that they can increase their revenue. And I'm sure only getting two home playoff games was not, what they're hoping for with this kind of payroll. So, you know, maybe there's a possibility of like a little bit of a financial retrenchment coming here, which would be a problem for them because they need to like add more talent, not subtract it. You know, could we see like a salary dump trade of Joe Harris or something like that? Like that's possibly again, I'm totally speculating there, but that would, that could throw another monkey wrench in that they're losing, you know, like $50 million or a hundred million dollars or something in some of these years. Were you surprised they didn't use the stretch provision on Javon Carter? Yeah, to just be paying him three million for next year. Yeah, with with their luxury tax position, that one to me that that was that rang something with me. That well, wait, do they plan on being under the tax next year? Like, what is the like? What was behind that? That that was the one that that set off some flags for me. I think so. This will be interesting to see how much they're really willing to spend this coming year. Yeah, and to be clear, they've spent 
quite a bit the two years before this one so i but yeah i mean you and we're seeing this obviously in la too genie bus is like hey when you spend this much money like you expect to have a deep playoff run now genie i'll let you know that you're the la lakers and 15 million into the tax that's that shouldn't be like some massive ass where it's like oh we are going so far and beyond like that's that's just like meeting the bare minimum of what you're supposed to be doing but they are they don't have a lot of independent revenue and like they feel like they need to make money and distribute them to all the various bus siblings and these other owners as like their main source of income so i understand why she's saying that but uh that's that could be something else to look out for as well when we're talking about the lakers trying to get better absolutely they i was actually talking about this with someone earlier today that their best pathway logically is probably to just ride out this year with russ and take their medicine but they just i just don't know if internally they can just they can just deal with that and or what they're going to try to do instead but it's all it was all frank vogel's fault john like now that he's gone, everything's going to be fine with Russ. A yeah. new coach will fix it. Yeah, I think I I, th- I think that's a good call, and I think you know as long as Kurt Rambis is the guy selecting that coach, I don't see how it can go wrong. Uh, I will say too the fact that it's like Frank Vogel is being blamed for not being able to get along well enough with Westbrook. Like it's a sad irony because I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm pretty sure Frank Vogel wasn't in favor of them acquiring Russell Westbrook. I don't think it takes then, a, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, at the, you know, you go back, like, would you have rather had Westbrook or Caruso for the Lakers this year? Like, it's not, it's not even a, it's not even a call, right? It's not, it's not even close. And Caruso it's made one fifth close. as much and, and they didn't want to pay it. Uh, what have you been writing about for the athletic recently before we go? Uh, it's all been a blur. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, so I wrote about with Fred Katz. We talked a lot about the New York Knicks and what they can do this offseason and how they're set up to potentially trade for a star or another piece if one comes available and where their young players stand. And I am going to be writing about the uh, Memphis Grizzlies here uh, on my assignment here. So we'll, we'll see how things go tonight, and then I will – Send a missive into the into the ether, and you guys will be able to read it tomorrow. All right. Well, we will be back probably, I, I would guess, uh, at this time next week. We'll talk to you all then.